Well, praise the Lord. It's time to get into the Word of God, y'all. And today, I'm going to have everyone go to a chapter, a book, and a chapter that often gets skipped over because it's right in the middle of uh, one of the uh, main characters in the Bible. And this chapter is Genesis 38. Genesis 38. Today, I'm starting a series that will continue through Mother's Day. I will end this series on Mother's Day. And uh, starting this week and ending on Mother's Day, I'm going to go through the stories of a number of women in the Bible who are either a part of the genealogy of Jesus or the life of Jesus when he walked the earth. And the series title is called Hidden Figures. And the inspiration behind it, a couple of years ago, I saw a movie named Hidden Figures. And while it chronicled the lives of three, uh, three, three black women, they were the main characters in the movie, but, but it also, they were among a group of many women who, because the men were off fighting wars, these women had to be depended upon to do a lot of the jobs that the men could not do because they were off at war. And in that movie, you had these women who were genius mathematicians. They were great at calculation. And they actually were the first computers. Before computers were a machine that did all of our calculating for us, there were people who were, who were responsible for the computing. And a lot of the great discoveries, a lot of the great achievements as far as even uh, landing on the moon and coming up with uh, weaponry and advanced tactics that helped, that helped us conquer and helped us be victorious and helped us achieve great things, these women were not on the forefront. They're not the ones saying one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, but that could not have happened without their contributions. They were the hidden figures behind the great achievements. Amen? And there are a lot of great figures in the Bible that are on the, front, on the forefronts of our minds, and uh, the Bible is filled with them, but, but there are also some hidden figures in the Bible whose contributions were no less significant and uh, doesn't, but doesn't get the attention that it deserves. So we're going to endeavor over the next month or so to give some of those hidden figures the attention they ought to get. Amen? And the, today's hidden figure is, uh, t uh, is uh, t Tamar. But we cannot, I, I want to do her story justice because this story, one of the reasons why it gets skipped is it, it, it's not neat. <laughs> it's not neat. It, it's not clean. In, in, in our stories, we like to have a clean cut hero. Right? The, the, the dirty figures are the bad guys. We don't like to have any taint on our heroes. Well, in this story, I'm sorry, it doesn't have that. But how many of our lives are like that? What we have here is a relatable figure. Right? And, 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 and to me... It encourages me and inspires me to whenever I see an individual in the Bible who has issues, has flaws, has, has, has made uh, some mistakes or, or did some devious things and still see the redemption of the Lord. Yeah. 
And it, you know, and it tells me that no story is beyond redemption. God can do great things. But we can't tell her story without actually uh, reading the verses that, that tell what her situation was. You see, we need to read these character stories in the context of the times in which they lived and the situations they were subjected to. So I'm going to start at verse 1. And we're just going to spend the next couple of hours on this story and, and uh, hope you guys are blessed as a result. No restroom breaks, no leaving early, none of that stuff. But we'll see what we're going to do. Starting at verse 1. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Kezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. You know, <laughs> one of the reasons we tend to act like this chapter isn't in there, in the Bible sometimes, and skip right over that. You know, we start, you know, this chapter is put right in between Joseph's brothers selling him to slave traders and where the Bible begins in the next chapter with Joseph becoming Potiphar's servant and beginning the, the beginning stages of the fulfillment of the dream God gave him. Right in between there is this story. Now, <laughs> so you can see why we want to skip from that first part because it's all about Joseph, right? We're excited about Joseph. He's... He, He's a real hero. He's got no taint and no dirt on him, so he shines up real nice. And so whoever comes against him, hey, it's, it's easy for us to well up against them and see them for the no-good scoundrels they are. We want to see this guy succeed. We want to see him overcome. We want to see him conquer. We want to see him victorious. What happened to him is wrong, and he didn't deserve that. They were like, mm-mm. But this chapter 38, Judah is one of his brothers. Now, this is before he became Judah. See, he wasn't, he, he wasn't the best of his brothers yet. As a matter of fact, it was his idea to sell Joseph to the traders. And it says right here, that right after that moment, he left home. He's no longer under the godly banner of his dad. He's got out from under that, and he decided to go his own way. And despite what the word of God has said, despite what their customs were about not intermingling with, Canaan's, with, with Canaanites, he went and took him a Canaanite wife. He's, he's off the reservation as far as what his dad's faith and values are. 
I personally believe that it's still because he's got judgments in his heart about his dad. Because his dad didn't love his mom like he loved the other mom. Remember Rachel and Leah? His dad didn't treat them the same way he treated uh, uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And there was resentment. I mean, they tried to, they talked about murdering their brother. There was, it's safe to be, it's safe to say there was issues in that house. They sold a brother into slavery on a caravan they knew was going to a godless pagan ruled Egypt. All right, but that's, again, Tamar's story cannot be told separate from Judah because her story happens in, within the story of his rebellion. Just like the ship uh, captain and his people who gave Jonah a ride were caught up in the his storm, Tamar is caught up in the storm of his rebellion. He's walking in rebellion. He is associating himself with the world now. And so he gets married. And then he gets a, 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 a wife from the Canaanites for his oldest son, Ur. And I believe because of the godless or because of the rebellious and sin-filled life that his dad lived before him as an example, hey, why would Ur be any different? It doesn't tell us exactly what it was that he did, but he continues the lifestyle that his dad was living. He did wickedness in the sight of God. Now, I'm not going to make the Canaanites the enemies in this one, right? Uh, I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a dad with daughters, right? Two dads got together, and an agreement, a covenant was made uh, between these two families that this woman would be given to this man's son. She married into wickedness. I don't know how much she knew before she married into it, but when she was in it, she was in it. She marries. She married into, should have been married into a family walking with God, but this family just happened to be in rebellion against God and his ways. The way I'll put it, Imagine if there was a part, imagine if there, uh, let's, let's, let's consider for a moment the prodigal son. He came to himself right and went back to his dad. But what if he was prodigal long enough to get married and have kids while he was in that rebellious state? His story, I believe, would have looked something similar to this. Judah is a prodigal son right now. His son continued his wickedness and God took his son away. There was a Leverite custom that made, that when, if a, if a brother died, brother who was married died before he and his wife could have kids, the Leverite custom made it the duty of the next brother to marry that woman, the widow of his brother, and produce kids that would be in the name of the deceased brother so that his name would continue on. And here we have the brother, Onan, Was, was, he was consumed with wickedness as well. He wasn't even honorable enough to do the custom. Why would he do the custom? Your dad's walking in open rebellion against God. What do the customs mean? Who those customs come from? You know, 
why not be a law unto myself? You know, if it's not going to benefit me, why would I do it? Now, think about this man. He could have, it wouldn't have been probably any more honorable, but he could have refused to marry the woman. But no, he takes her. He uses her for his pleasure. But at the moment when it's time to impregnate her so that his brother's name can live on, he spills his semen on the ground because he's not, they're not going to be my kids. Why would I do that for my dead brother? How cold is that? Meanwhile, this poor woman who is, you know, her dad entrusted her to this man's family, to this man's son. Unfortunately, he died. But uh, Judah isn't concerned about her well-being. Onan isn't concerned about her well-being. If she doesn't get married and she doesn't produce kids, who's going to take care of her as she gets older? God is not playing around here. I don't know how many times he did this, but he persisted in this until God took him as well. So he's got three boys with a Canaanite woman in a land that does not know or worship the God that he does. I mean, he's in open rebellion. Now he's got two dead sons. He's got one surviving son. Leverack custom still applies. Now the youngest son is next in line, but he's afraid that if the, hey, I've lost two sons being married to this jinx of a woman. I, I, I only got one son left, and I'm not going to marry him to her because he, she, she, you know, she might kill him too. <laughs> Think about, that tells me his fear, you know, he has transferred blame to the woman. When he should own his fault in the matter. You see, I'm starting here because this is the content. This is the story within that her story occurs within. And it's easy to look at a snapshot in someone's life and make a judgment. But often that judgment is short-sighted and unfair. We might see things a bit different if we pan out and see some of the choices people made within the larger context of their life. So he's afraid for his third son, and so he's dishonest with her. He tells her, hey, go live in your father's house till my youngest son grows up. But it says here, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. That, that's just a nice way of saying he had no intention of giving his little boy to her, his youngest son to her. But he didn't tell her that. He told her to go, hey, go, go back to your daddy's house until my son is grown. And I'll give him to you as your, to be your husband. And she's taking his word for it. She's being honorable. She hasn't done anything but get married. To this man's oldest son. So let's continue on. So she remained in her father's house. And I want to go on here. Verse 12, in the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance uh, to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face." 
he turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you. Now, this is Judah. He's still walking in rebellion. You know, society hasn't changed all that much. Boys will be boys, huh? You know, we'll focus on, oh, get that temptress. Really? Okay. She might be a temptress. Right? But what about the lust that's driving the other party? Are we going to blame other people for our choices or are we going to own our own stuff? And repent to God for our stuff. So this man still has no problem. He's not walking in conviction at all. He's up here. He's going to, sh- the, to the sheep shearer. Sees this woman covered up. I don't know how long his wife was dead. I'm not even going to speculate. But he just approaches her and propositions her. This is an interaction initiated by him. It doesn't even say that she covered herself that way to pose as a prostitute and to proposition him. All we know is she wanted to conceal her identity. He made the assumption that she was something because she covered it. It wasn't uncommon for women who did uh, work in that profession to cover themselves in that way. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that was her intent. You can infer that if you want, but the word just doesn't say it. And so she covered herself, and he assumes that she's a prostitute, and he wants to get with her. And so she responds, well, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. And he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Enaim on the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I've not found her. And also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. It's like, man, we have never had one here. So we don't know what you're talking about. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. We'll be a laughing stock if we keep looking for her. Trying to complete the transaction. You see, I sent this goat and you did not find her. So again, we see a continuation of Judah living in his sin. This woman is in the position that she's in because of him. She's living in her father's house. She's promised to his third son. His son is grown. He's of age. He has no intention of honoring his word, honoring the Leverite custom. No intention and no care for what her future holds or what condition she's going to be living in. All he's concerned about is his son. So this woman, excuse her if she starts looking out for number one. She realizes what's going on here. She's learned that his son, she knows the age of his son. And whatever her motive was for covering her face up, to me, is irrelevant. 
whether she intended to make herself look like a prostitute or not, he mistook her for one. From that moment on, she could have revealed who she really was. But she didn't. She played along. What will you give me? Let's barter. And they bartered. They had sex with one another and she became pregnant as a result. Yet she kept that secret to herself. She knew eventually she'd be showing. But she didn't let him. She didn't, for whatever reason, she didn't say a thing. She wanted the the pregnancy to reveal itself, I guess, in due time. So we have this, it's amazing what Judah becomes is so different than who he is right now. I want to encourage you as well. Some of you have a testimony that the right now you ain't the you that used to be you. You know, that's a testimony that even when we're not faithful, God remains faithful. That's a testimony that he who began a good work in you is, is able to complete it. Right? And, and some of you now, you're, you're, you're not the best version of you. But I want this to be a, a, an encouragement and, a, and an inspiration to you that even though you may be more like the right now Judah in chapter 38, he has a hope and a future plan for you. That you're not going to stay the you that you are. He's doing a work in you that he is going to complete. There's great things in store for you. God is a good God. He loves you. And, and, and there is more to you because of him who lives inside of you. You may not fully know who you are in him yet, but praise God, you are going to, as the, the more you press in to get to know him, the more you discover who you are in him. And he can, he can transform your character. He can change your destiny, your direction. And he will make you a vessel of honor fit to be used by him. You know, Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. See, there's redemption even in Judah's story. Amen? But Judah wasn't always the Judah we, that we like to reminisce about. We like to rem- he's not the Judah now that we like to remember. You know, he's not the finished product, Judah. None of us are finished products. God's not done with us. Amen? Well, well, well. I'm I'm not even going to keep y'all much longer. (laughs) Now we get, I almost started this with these verses. You know how sometimes you watch a TV show and you watch the episode and the opening scene shows you the end of the episode? And then it goes back to the beginning and they show you how you got there, right? But I changed it, you know. I don't know. It, it would have been, it, I think it would have been cool, but hey, I feel God lead me to do it a different way. But here we are now, to verse 24, about three months after that little encounter. Somebody told Judah, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Oh, my God. How dare she? The one that's promised to your son has been immoral. Can you imagine that? Moreover, she's pregnant as a result of her immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Lord, how much Judah said this. (laughs) 
It's safe to say he has not been a paragon of virtue himself, but it's amazing. Uh, now, th this was not uncommon for women who were caught in adultery for them to be burned alive. Jesus had to deal with this same attitude with the woman that was caught in adultery. And I still, for the life of me, have not figured out how one person can be caught in adultery. You know, but that's neither here nor there. You know, it would seem to me that two people should have been stoned to death. You know, but again, these are the imbalances of society. And her story cannot be viewed outside of that context either. Women have not been valued like women should have been valued. Because you don't see stories of the, the men being burned alive who were being immoral. You got an immoral man judging an immoral woman, <laughs> condemning her to death. I'm not trying to poke the bear. I'm just, I'm just speaking the truth. He says, bring her out and let her be burned. And as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law. By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Mmm. Mmm. You know, these shows, there were certain types of shows that used to be popular, popular back in the day. You know, like Geraldo. Uh, 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 what, what's the name of the other ones? Sally S. Rowe, yeah. And man, they get these people up on the stage, right? And somebody would be pregnant and they'd have everybody up there and you realize that the person who... Uh, they were in a relationship, they realized the baby isn't theirs. And they had the person who had, who the baby, you know, who's the father of the baby on the stage too. And they just end up in a melee fighting and everything. The big reveal happens in that moment. And they want the chaos to ensue. And for whatever reason, people couldn't get enough of it. Jerry Springer, there's another one, Jerry Springer. That's what that was. Yeah, Jerry Springer. And we, could not get enough of it. it, it it's, it's ridiculous. It's kind of chaos now that people get a twisted pleasure out of this kind of thing. But in this situation, this is a matter of life or death. These people have the power to take her life because it cannot be denied that what she did was an immoral thing. But it also cannot be denied that she was also being victimized by the immorality of, 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 of certain men in her life. And, and, and what do you do when you're in the middle of two seemingly impossible or two bad choices? You know, picket signs don't address the root cause of these issues. Bumper stickers and stuff don't address the root cause of these issues. You know, uh, taking moral stances and so forth don't address the human cost and the real, it's the real root cause of these issues. We got to get into people's lives. Really meet them where they're at and, and, and begin to unravel their story and figure out what were the factors in their lives that drove them to make the choices that they made. If we're ever going to reach their hearts, that their hearts might be turned for Christ, then we're going to need to make an effort to engage their heart, right? Take the time to get to know their story. And we, we can't skip past stuff and just look at the end result. Because there was a time in my life when you met me, if you just took that snapshot, you would say, there's no way God can use that boy. <laughs> No way. I know where his eternal destination is. But thanks be to God. 
he intervened and wrecked my life and made me and, and, and revealed himself to me and, and made me the kind of man I didn't envision myself to be. He fathered me in a way that only he could father me. Right? And so he revealed himself to me and he gave me his vision, his plan for my life. And for the first time, I began to see value in me because the God of my salvation showed the value that I have to him. And imagine how freeing or liberating that can be. You know, some people engaging in sin because they are chasing something. They're chasing love. They're chasing some type of fulfillment. They're chasing... Some, some need they feel needs to be met. They, don't, they haven't realized yet that the only one who can meet that need is the one who died on the cross for them. Right? And so you got to know what is driving someone if you ever hope to reason with that person and help them come to understand that the very thing you're chasing after, you know, you're not going to find it there. I, I, I see you. I see what driving you. I see what you're going after. And God has brought me to you to help point you in the right direction. Are you hearing me? Well, she takes matters into her own hands. Jesus ain't died yet. He hasn't came to the, you know, Jesus hasn't come in the human form and hasn't died yet. She takes matters into her own hands and she asks him to identify these things. And in verse 26, Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I am. It, you know, my first thought was, well, that's not a very high bar, but, <laughs> but, but he's right. She is more righteous than him. And he says, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah, and he did not know her again. You know, I don't, it, you look at that and say, why is it needful to say he did not know her again? Because they did not have sex again, right? But she's got two babies. Well, she's going to have two babies by him. I, you know, cause I, I believe that, okay, if she stayed in her father's house, then they would have been in two separate locales and they really couldn't unless they really made plans to hook up again. I think he brought her into his home. Right or wrong, she's the mother of his children now. And before, and I'm going to finish with these last four verses. Right or wrong, she's the mother of his children now. Ideally, his name should continue on through his sons, but two of his sons are dead now. I don't know who his youngest son married. I hope he didn't make the same mistake with him that he made with the first two. But let's read these last four verses and I will conclude the message. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. <laughs> and she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread in his hand, and his name was called Zerah. And so, I won't have you turn there, and I didn't give them the verse, but if you look at the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, that first chapter, you will get Perez, this son, 
He's in the genealogy of Jesus. And I want us to ponder that as we, in the closing moments of this message, I want us to ponder this. There wasn't an ounce of godliness involved by anybody in this story. Judah wasn't godly. Ur wasn't godly. Onan wasn't godly. Tamar wasn't acting godly. Sin abounded in this whole situation. And furthermore, she's a Canaanite woman. This whole thing is a mess, which is why it gets skipped over. Who can we feel for? Who can we root for and not feel dirty about it? Who's the hero in this story? Well, I, I submit to you, it's, it's a flawed hero, but I submit to you, Tamar's the hero in this story. She risked it all. She risked it all. You know, she didn't, she didn't connive her way into getting something that should not have been hers in the first place. She's dealing with an injustice. And she did what she did in order to overcome the injustice that was inflicted on her. And while God's killing sons left and right because of their own sin and rebellion, this woman's actions almost got her killed. So she, she put her life on the line. Did, I guess, the only thing she knew to do the only option that she felt she had available to herself, she did it. When the man of God walking in rebellion didn't have the honor and integrity to do the right thing, she used stealth to get the result that should have been achieved. Due to honor and integrity. Hey, she's not a perfect hero, but nonetheless, she is one. Because the story of Jesus doesn't happen without her. The story of Jesus can't completely be told without her. Her background is not spotless. You know, if, you, if, this, if this was Meet the Parents and Robert De Niro was doing the background check, she, she wouldn't pass, right? It'd be hard to let her into the little circle of trust, right? <laughs> she wouldn't pass if you're just looking at it on the merits. But this woman is representative of what women have had to deal with throughout the ages. Often seen as uh, property or, you know, you don't get a vote, you don't get a choice. And back in that culture, you married who your daddy arranged for you to marry. And if a man forces himself on you, you end up pregnant, and he says that you were consenting, and it's your word against his, more than likely it wasn't going to end well for you. But, but I digress. I, I, I just want to finish giving Tamar her due attention here. Not, not necessarily to put her up on a pedestal 
and, and give all honor to her. But I believe it's hard. I'm telling you, this story is in the Bible for a reason. And it's not just to sully and denigrate the reputation of Judah. He did a pretty good job of that himself. But it reveals the sometimes impossible situations, impossible choices that face our precious women. A situation that they found themselves in time and time again from generation to generation to generation. And sometimes impossible choices have to be made. And I hope we can be reflective and be inspired by this story to not make snap judgments about people. Not, not to take the first hearing of someone's story and then make a judgment about who that individual is without taking the time to discover them what kind of person they are within the context of their life. I believe we cannot be true, effective ambassadors for Christ unless we're willing to do that. I didn't hear any amens, but it's true. Right? We're not here to make statements. We're here to represent Jesus. Right? We're here to introduce people to Jesus. We're here to be lights and examples for Christ. Right? And I want to hearken back again to the woman caught in adultery. Jesus ran up against this. And what did he say? He who is without sin cast the first. You're right. The law says this. Let the person with clean hands throw the stone. And not a person through a stone. So just like Judah, you have immoral people. People who deserve, by that time, Jesus hadn't died yet. So the law said if you're guilty of any part of it, you're guilty of the whole law. And the wages of sin is death. And so he says, so if you're righteous before God, then throw the stone. Be the judge. Be the righteous judge. And, not, and put in that context, not a person could throw a stone. And so we need to remember, there but for the grace of God go I. God, it is by grace I am saved through faith. There was a time when I was an unrepentant sinner. And yet, the truth of your glorious gospel penetrated my heart and I humbled myself and received that gift of salvation I couldn't earn it I stand righteous because of what Christ did for me and if we remember that then we can look with greater care upon those who are still walking in darkness to those who are suffering the kinds of injustices that Tamar found herself in you know uh the church can be a much more effective uh, witness when it comes to those, those situations. I'm not saying don't speak the truth. Speak the truth in love, but it's hard to love somebody you don't take the time to get to know. It's hard to love with Jesus' love if we don't care enough to get into their world and, 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 and figure out what they're going through, how they got where they're going, and how they might climb their way out of that pit of darkness that, they're, that they've been living in. Hallelujah. So this woman, despite all that ungodliness that just pervades this story, 
God redeems her sad story by, you know what? She ended up becoming the mother of uh, Judah's kids. He had a wife that died. They had these boys. But she ends up carrying on his name. Wow. Uh, That's my final, that's, that's the final point I wanted to make here is that let's see God in this story. The heart of God is revealed in this story. He deals with sin. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God, but he's also a God of love and of mercy. He's also a redeemer. And so he took this situation, took this story, and he made her an integral part of the story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the kind of God we serve. So when you're looking at that person in the mirror and you're condemning that person and you're calling that person a mistake or a loser or a failure or, you know, nobody loves you or cares about you or or sees any worth in you and so forth, I want to speak against that in Jesus' name and let you know that there is a God in heaven. who sees that person in the mirror a completely different way. And he wants to and is more than capable of redeeming your story. Only question is whether you will give him that opportunity. Hallelujah. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your circumstances don't define you. They affect you. They stick with you. They present challenges to you. But they in and of themselves are not who you are. They are not your identity. There are some things that happen to you. There are some things that hurt you or marred you or scarred you. But they are not you. And you can't help who brought you into this world. You can't help the situation you were born into. And you can't always help the circumstances you found yourself in. Things might seem hopeless. But there's hope in Jesus. There is hope for your situation. And while you're standing there, I just want you to, you know, I just want you to contemplate. Is there something about this story, something about Tamar and her injustice that she dealt with? She coped with it. She dealt with it the best she knew how but maybe you were in a situation and you've not known what to do you seem to have a choice between a bad a bad choice and a worse choice or just two bad choices And you're kind of paralyzed with indecision because you don't see a way forward. You don't see a clear solution. Again, I want to submit to you 
that there is a redeemer who's fully, fully familiar with your story. And he's got a plan. He knows what he's doing. And he loves you so much. He doesn't just want to redeem your story. He wants to redeem you. You are what matters to him. You matter more than your story to him. He wants to redeem your story because of how much he loves you. So in this moment, let him love you. In this moment, embrace that truth that you are worthy because he's deemed you worthy. That you are loved because the one who created you, the one who is love, loves you. And he loved, he, he proved it by sending his son to die on the cross for you. But he didn't stay dead, he rose again. He has conquered death, he's conquered hell, he's conquered this world. And he has a name that is above every name with all authority in his hand, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That one who loves you, who highly esteems you, he's true and he's faithful. Hallelujah. If anyone is really, if anyone's been spoken to and really feels a need for prayer, I want to invite you at this time to come. And it would be an honor to lift you up in prayer and minister to you as the Lord leads. And don't feel any obligation to, but I want to give every opportunity for those who, needs, who may need ministry. Join me in a brief word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for stories like Tamar in the Bible. She's a, a, she's a hidden figure because we tend to either ignore or diminish or just skip over this story so we can get to the good stuff. But, but the good stuff is in this story. It's good stuff in this chapter. Through her story, you were foreshadowing the fact that you didn't have to be raised up in that perfect home and, and, and be a Christian since you could walk and, and all that. You didn't have to be born a Hebrew. You know, you didn't have to be of one of the 12 tribes of Israel and so forth in order to be reconciled to God. Through this story, even a Canaanite woman, even the offspring from sin, he wasn't supposed to marry a Canaanite woman, but he, but he did. And this story says another thing. Even the even if your mom got pregnant with you and it wasn't intentional, people might say, use the word mistake says, this here story says, there is no mistakes in God. God. God doesn't consider any life a mistake. Okay? You, you might have hooked up that one time with your boyfriend and the first time you ended up pregnant. That wasn't the plan. That doesn't mean the life inside you is a mistake. 
And there's a lot of statistics that would make you worry and concerned about what the future might hold for that baby when the single mother is considering a future. What is a future going to look like? How dim it is? There's a lot of things weighing heavily on that poor woman's mind and that, you know, and oftentimes I've seen it. Where the parents of the boy involved are more concerned with their boy. They don't want him to be weighed down with a child. They say, well, but, you're, but, but, but that baby couldn't be a reality without your boy. And while the boy can run and hide and the parents can, can, can swoop him away and take him somewhere, mama can't run and hide. She's got hard, hard decisions to make. And that's why if you, if you see her heading toward that clinic and, and, and she's contemplating, God forbid she's contemplating abortion, there's a deeper story there than judging her for that choice she's contemplating right there. She's going alone, which ought to tell you something, because she didn't get that way alone. And can we love people who feel like they have been jammed up and have to make an impossible choice regardless of what their choice end up being can we be used of God as vehicles through which the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the salvation of God, the redemption of God can be realized, can be made known. To the Tamars of this world. So Father God, I just, in this moment, we just humble ourselves before you and Lord, I, I just, speaking on behalf of the body here corporately, we want you to be glorified. Amen. Lord, we're not going to pull you down and make you any less than what you are. You showed yourself to be, to be God. You showed yourself to be almighty. You showed yourself to transcend circumstances by how you redeemed Tamar. It made her the mother of a child that ended up uh, ended up part of the genealogy of Jesus. The savior of the world. So Father God, we want to be effective witnesses for you. Lord, give us the heart of Christ. Open our eyes in this generation in which we live. Darkness is pervasive. Evil abounds. But it does not abound more than the life of God. It does not abound more than the grace of God. It does not abound more than the power of God to save and redeem. And Lord, I pray that the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. That the redeemed of the Lord does, does, does not fail to look at our society and the people who are in it in doubt, fear, and unbelief. That we do not fail to look at those situations in faith in all out trust of our God 
knowing that these situations might be beyond our human capability, but nothing is too hard for God. And in all these stories, in the natural, there are statistics that will say they're going to end badly. But God. <laughs> but God. But our God can redeem them all. Hallelujah. And we say, Lord, let it be so. And use us, Father God, according to your will. Use us, Father God, as instruments partnering with you to help and aid in the redemption of those people and their stories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. You know, and all the time, God is good. Hallelujah. It's, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's wonderful to know that we have a redeeming God that loves us and is capable of redeeming the worst of stories. And if God's redeemed your story, and if you're here, I know he has, right, then I tell you what, don't be ashamed of that gospel message, right? Be bold. Be courageous. Be excitable. Be intent in sharing what God has done for you. You don't have to be the biggest Bible scholar. You may not know a whole bunch of scriptures, but that's beside the point. You know what God has done for you. And start telling that, and we'll see where God takes it from there. God bless you. Love you guys. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>